You're listening to The Lead, a podcast where we learn how to get ahead in the media industry from the people that did. I'm Daniel Funky. Today on the show, we have Bob Sullivan, award-winning independent journalist and best-selling author. I met Bob while attending the Society of American Business Editors and Writers Conference in New York City last semester, and he knows a lot about how to make everyone consume business journalism. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast was created by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership as part of its Innovation Fellowship Program. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. After becoming one of the founding members of msnbc.com in the 1990s, Bob Sullivan really launched his career in business journalism. He maintained a popular blog called the Red Tape Chronicles, where he focused on technology crime and consumer fraud, and later published two books, both New York Times bestsellers. Today, he's an independent journalist and television commentator, and he has great insight on how to tell interesting stories about the business world. Here's our conversation. Hey, Bob. How's it going today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. So, you know, it's Athens Startup Week uh, here at the University of Georgia, and you're visiting the Grady College to take part in the Cox Institute's Entrepreneurial Journalism Symposium. So you spoke about uh, the need for sustainable independent journalism today. Tell us a little bit about what that exactly is and what your talk highlighted. America is facing an existential crisis right now. Um, There are 60,000 reporters in newsrooms at about the year 2000 and in newspaper newsrooms, and now there are 30,000. That's half. 30,000 people, many of them with 10, 20 years' experience, on the streets. That's millions of hours of experience lost. It should be surprised to no one that right now the American public has a crisis of confidence about journalists, we're disappearing. We're an endangered species. So I am convinced that one of the solutions to this problem is to create what I'm doing myself, which I call sustainable journalism. Can individual reporters and editors or small groups actually have a sustainable, simple business where they keep writing the stories that are important to everybody and and they make a living at it? No one's going to make millions of dollars here, but is there a structure that can support these individual journalists? And I am completely convinced that this has to be part of the future. You're an independent journalist yourself. You maintain your own website. Um, you have sections on there called the Red Tape Chronicles and the Restless Project, all these really cool projects you do. Why did you decide to conduct these consumer economics and business pieces on the side and not with a mainstream news organization? Well, I did. Well, I worked for NBC for almost 20 years, MSNBC.com and then NBC. And I started while I was there the last 10 years or so. I had a column called the Red Tape Chronicles. I called it my it's a we take on 25, 21st century headaches in the Red Tape Chronicles. So whether you're frustrated because a hacker stole your password or Comcast is cheating you on your cable bill, it's the same kind of digital age headache. So I would hear from listeners and readers and I would unravel their problems, and I would expose the misbehaving companies for that. So I did that for about 10 years. And then I wrote a couple of books based on that column, um, Gotcha Capitalism, and then Stop Getting Ripped Off, all with this whole uh, theme of how do you fight back against a big corporation if you're a little guy or a little girl and you're getting punished. Um, and then three years ago, I left big media to set up my own shingle because I just felt like it was a better way to spread that message. You mentioned gotcha capitalism, which I think is a really interesting idea for a book. And in the book, you mention a lot of ways consumers are getting ripped off by big companies. What do you think are some examples that you think are especially relevant to college students or maybe recent graduates? Well, I think every college student can relate to a crisis on an airplane with an overbooked seat, right? I mean, the, the United incident this week was the Super Bowl for me because it really did encapsulate so many things that I write about, whether it's 
enormous contracts that nobody understands that that aren't really contracts at all, in my opinion. They're just lists of bad things that can happen to you if the company decides so. Like maybe we'll charge you a $39 fee if you overdraw your checking account for one day, or maybe we'll not give you any of your rental deposit back, or maybe we'll drag you off an airplane because that suits us. And what is your uh, response to that? What can your response to that be? Nothing. If you try to resist, we can call the cops on you. It's a crazy system, and you know, gotcha capitalism is is about these little ticky tack fees. Like probably every college student in history of mankind has ended up with an overdraft free and a checking account because of a late night pizza purchase or something, right? So that's annoying. Um, everyone does it once or twice, and hopefully you learn. But what the book is really about is how all those little ticky tack things they add up to an entirely new way of doing business, a really nefarious way of doing business that contributes. Uh, not only to um, income distortion that we now have in America, like why the 1% has so much income and the rest of us don't, but also to the boom and bust cycle of our economy. So buying everything right now is, is this terrible game. If you try to get a hotel, you get a price online, you show up, the price is double what you thought it was because of resort fees. You, you rent a car. My God, I just rented a car to come from from Atlanta Airport to Athens. And the pieces of paper you have to sign when you rent a car and the 17 other fees that are associated with it and the threats that you get about insurance claims. So all that does what I call, it accomplishes for companies, the death of the price tag. So when you get a cell phone, you you sign up with a cable TV company, they tell you what the price is going to be, but then the bill comes the next month and you're like, where's this number from? Market economies require clear price tags so that there can be this bargaining back and forth between equal parties. That's what free markets are. I'm the most free markety, free marketer person you've ever talked to. We don't have one right now. Instead, we have this gotcha capitalism, which is we give you one price, and then gotcha. Turns out it's $39 more than that. These gotchas are everywhere. Once you start looking at, looking for them, you find them everywhere. And while this is annoying for you on a personal level, again, as our economy is concerned, it means that only misbehaving companies succeed. So companies that are the best at gotchas, the best at scamming people, those are the ones that exist. And if you try to be a fair company, there's a great example I have in the book of a hotel chain that went with true upfront pricing. And what happened? They lost all their customers because the people with the lowball prices ended up getting all the hotel purchases. So in a world where all of this unfairness is going on, you can't afford to be honest. No one ever wants to be the only honest poker player at a game of cheats. As a result, we have this economy that barely functions, and this is a big reason why. Before you started writing this book and a bunch of your independent journals, and now you built up your reputation at big broadcasting companies, in the age of social media, what do you think sets independent journalists apart when everyone can be a reporter? Quality. And uh, this is something I feel really strongly about. Uh, In my talk today, I discussed the Thursday Boot Company, just as a perfect example of this. I'm I'm a consumer reporter, so I'm cheap which means I don't spend any money on clothes. Um, I probably never spent more than $50 on a pair of shoes my whole life. Recently, I had some plantar fasciitis. A friend of mine with it mentioned to me these phenomenal boots by this little boutique company um, that's grassroots. was started by a Kickstarter campaign. They use all American high-quality leather, all sorts of things inside the shoe to make it more comfortable. As a boot company, what they tried to do is cross the chasm between men's work boots that, that are ugly and designed to just keep you from breaking a toe if a cinder block falls on your foot, and work boots with quotes that are for hip kids in Brooklyn that aren't functional and aren't comfortable. So they're in between. These are tough boots that actually look good, and you could even wear with dress slacks. Now I sound like I'm advertising for the company. but So they're $200. I've never spent $200 on a pair of shoes in my life. But I did. I love them. They're great. I actually can't wait to buy my second pair of them. I think they're worth it. They're going to last me for 10 years. 
and I belabor this example because I really want individual journalists, solopreneurs, to be the Thursday boot company of journalism. And why that's important is Thursday boot can actually charge premium prices. Like they're getting real money out of me. This is not pay less. This is not the race to the bottom that we see, which is basically what's happened in big media. You, you either have basement bloggers who aren't making any money at all, or you have enormous media companies that are commoditized news. Somewhere in the middle are these boutique companies, and this is what the Internet is good at. And this is, I think, where the opportunity lies, and I'm very excited about this. If you are a very, very good biotechnology reporter, you can leave the Seattle Times, as a friend of mine did, and start a $100-a-year paid newsletter for people who are very, very interested in that phenomenal field of biotechnology in Seattle. There are powerful niches that can be exposed and used by journalists who are very good at what they do to make real money out of this. And I don't think anybody's going to become a gazillionaire out of it. That's not the idea. But I do think there are sustainable business models when you, you combine the sort of boutique effect with the quality and, and uh, the importance of journalism. You've won several awards for your work, including a Peabody and a Society of Professional Journalists Public Service Award. I ask this of a lot of journalists that I interview. Why do you think you won awards for those pieces of work? What do you think set them apart? Well, I'm going to answer that two ways. The first way is going to be annoying. Um, it's lovely to win awards. I think the sad thing about winning awards is every year somebody wins a Pulitzer and then gets laid off. So it's important, again, for people who are professionals getting into journalism to understand that quality journalism is over here and um, professional security is over here as two separate things. So awards just don't guarantee what you think that they might in our profession. It's very, very important to say. The pieces that you're talking about, I'm very, very proud of. One was a long time ago, and it was about scams on eBay. A colleague of mine named Mike Brunker did dozens of stories about the initial eBay scams, which are basically the first scams that existed on the Internet. And now that seems like a story everybody understands. But at the time, it was on the forefront. And so that would be why that one. Um, it was something very, very new that most people hadn't heard of. And and uh, that's the simplest definition of news ever, right? It's something that nobody else has heard of. So that would be the first one. And then the other, the other piece, I actually had a, a small role in a very large NBC project that I'm, I'm very proud of called In Plain Sight. And it's about poverty in America. That's not what you think it is. Um, something like about roughly one in seven Americans don't have access to a checking or credit card account. They're the unbanked or the underbanked. Um, so they live all cash lives. They have to run to a payday lender every Friday to get their paycheck cashed. And, of course, the payday lender takes an exorbitant fee for doing so. And they uh, live this crazy life that the rest of us couldn't really understand. And they're all around us. Half the people who work uh, in the service jobs around us live like this. In, in plain sight was a story about, you know, poverty in America is just a much bigger, much more, uh, much closer thing than you realize. And I think that, that was a really sincere project. NBC undertook about a year uh, to do a set of stories on that. It was very important, and I'm glad we did it. So for students that might want to pursue a journalistic path similar to yours, would you recommend going into mainstream media right out of college or trying to do that before they establish their own brand? Or would you have some other advice for them to you know, establish their brand and report on issues that matter to them? I mean, I would love to see people try this right out of school. That's the harder route for sure. Um, the, the message that I told most of the kids today was the era of, of a big company taking care of you for your whole adult life. That's just gone. We have to get that out of our heads as individual workers and consumers. So understand that when you go to work for a company, it's a it's a bargain. It's a relationship between you and them. You're going to be useful to them for so long. They should be useful to you for so long. So the second you go work for a big company, give them your best. But 
every minute you should keep in mind that the next quarter they might lay you off and the next quarter you might actually start your venture. So we now live in this world where everyone has a side hustle. Everyone has a side gig. Everyone's an Uber driver of one kind or another. We're all going to be Uber drivers as journalists, I think. In fact, that's just the way that we're going to have this flexible workforce. That's just for the future. And the sooner that you embrace that, the better. But you can start all of this. You can set all of this up in those first few years when you're working for a big media company by establishing your reputation, by establishing your Rolodex. Uh, Most of all, and this is the most critical thing I tell anyone, grabbing every audience member that you can and holding on to them for dear life. Every time someone emails you and says, I liked your story, put them on a mailing list, send them a nice note, get them hooked into your content. I mean, at a bare minimum, get them to follow you on Twitter or like your Facebook page or whatnot. The best thing is to get their email address. But your whole professional career, audience members are going to be drifting by you like a river. Grab everyone that you can and put them in a bucket because in the future, your audience is your power. And that's going to set up your second, third, fourth act if you have an audience that you've collected. Bob Sullivan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Bob Sullivan is an award-winning independent journalist and best-selling author. Thank you for listening to The Lead. Today's episode was produced by Daniel Funky with special help from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. For more interviews with media leaders, go to soundcloud.com slash the lead podcast or find us on Twitter at the lead podcast. <laughs>